And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome to the B-Sides. The B-Sides is a podcast for progressives who love pop music and are so tired from 2020, but not too tired to immediately rehash pop music in 2020, which is what we're going to do today. I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. And Happy New Year. We're so grateful to be here with you now in 2021. Um, We're going to start with some housekeeping. As usual, subscribe if you haven't already to the podcast to keep up with us on a regular basis. We drop episodes every other Wednesday into your podcast app of choice. And if you are listening to this on the day it comes out, it is Becky's birthday, our Capricorn fearless leader. So please, um, you know, wish her wish her a happy birthday. And you know what would be a real gift for what me that you could do for my birthday would be to purchase a koozie. Um, and if you head over our Instagram account or on our website, you'll see we made these off awesome koozies. Shout out to Caroline Wurzel who designed it. And it would mean so much to us and to me on my 29th birthday if you bought 29 koozies. Um, to stock up your home or not 29, you could buy two, you could buy nine, uh, that works too, or you could buy one. Um, and all the proceeds from that just goes back into the B-sides to help support us to make the best content, pop related, anything related for you possible. So it just, it would mean a lot. Do it, do it for Becky, do it for all of us, do it for the koozies. Do it for the electoral college. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which is also, also happening today. Today. Arguably more important uh, okay. than my birthday, but anyway, I'll digress. Let's go it's on. Less, it's like objectively less important and we all know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay. So today we're going to talk about what 2020 did to music with a focus on pop music as we are wont to do, but certainly changes and trends that apply more widely. A couple of caveats that I feel the need to say, like this is such, this is such a broad and evolving topic that it would be impossible to cover everything and we don't have the perspectives yet of how this year fits into the years around it, what carried into the future that we haven't lived yet, things like that. So this is more of, you know, an early January 2021 time capsule of where we're at and the rest will probably become clearer with time. I don't know. Um, Like all that said, I like made house rules that no one would probably cross anyway where I was just like, no 2020 vision, no hindsight is 2020 or phrases like, like that in or surrounding this episode. If you have feedback, I don't want to hear those phrases. It's too easy. It's too easy. And it was such a like bad year that it just, you know, we can't have it. So let's get it out of our system now. Okay. That said, you know, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get right into it. And we're back. So Like, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence or experience by going on a long tear about what 2020 was or meant. We've all had that a lot um, all year and in the last week or so. And it's like, you know, a lot of it's very collective. A lot of it's very personal. It's shifting. We all lived it. We can't tie it into a neat little bow. I'll just say, like, overarchingly, probably for about everyone, you know, it was it will be remembered as a very consequential election year. A year of pandemics that laid bare the illusion of control in most things, 
and longstanding homegrown inequities. So, you know, like health, social, economic crises, COVID-19. Yeah, I mentioned it. I'm not going to mention it a bunch, but here it is. (laughs) Disproportionately infecting and killing Black and Latinx people disproportionately socially and economically impacting communities of color and women. And then like many millions of people becoming poorer while millionaires became billionaires and billionaires became even bigger billionaires. And the federal government was largely indifferent. And that was horrible to see as well. And then separate but related, other racial injustices, anti-Black violence, the murders of Rihanna Taylor, George Floyd, and other Black people at the hands of police officers and white supremacists. And so what these things lead to is like both a year of more people online than ever before, and also more people consistently taking to the streets and protest than we've seen in a generation or more. So yeah, it's it was a year of collective grief and trauma channeled in different ways, a year when possibly more than ever, we needed to remember that hope is a discipline. And we are going to talk about music, like with all of that said. Um, I also, uh, I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at this, but like, I think probably on LinkedIn or Facebook, one of the more chaotic platforms, um, this Variety article was presented to me on Google Trends. And I they're always weird because they're always like snapshots of what people were Googling the most and things that like they weren't Googling a lot other years. So like Trump is not on this list because he <laughs> trends constantly. Um, but uh you know, like Joe Biden was at the top of the list for politicians, things like that. And I think it's kind of helpful in distilling some of what happens and what we collectively cared about while also being like kind of reductive, you know, it's like disjointed, but I, you know, I thought it, I thought it was interesting, especially for a year when most interactions were, if you were abiding by public health guidelines were virtual. So like what made the cut? I should just, you know what, I'm just going to read a couple of the sections here and then get into it. We also have to uh, say the top musician Googled of the year because we have some B-Size listeners who will be very excited to see who that person was. Yes, yes. Um, I want to do like overall and then Hannah, do you want to read the musicians and bands? And then I thought the definitions one was funny or fun. Okay, great. Okay, so for... If we just look at a few of these, like for overall searches, it was election results, number one, coronavirus, Kobe Bryant, coronavirus update, coronavirus symptoms, Zoom, who was winning the election, Naya Rivera, Chadwick Boseman, and PlayStation 5. So here's where I'm like, okay, Zoom, virtual, whatever, PlayStation 5, whatever, coronavirus, duh, election, duh, like, and then, you know, we have, like, these shocking deaths of three very influential, inspirational Black celebrities in a year of this reckoning with racial injustices, like, like, other terms related to that didn't make the top list, but I think that, like, mourning these celebrities and revisiting their legacies um, continued to feed the movement, and then the movement also fed the like commemoration of their legacies, if that makes sense. So it's kind of all all represented there in a way. Um, Hannah, do you want to read the top musicians? Sure. 
So the top musician Googled in 2020 was Shakira, which is amazing because a lot of the B-Sides community constantly talks about how she is underrated in the U.S. because she's very aptly rated in the rest of the world. So let's let's not forget prior to COVID, which I know we forgot those three months in 2020 that existed. She was the halftime show, which was incredible. Right. And I think a lot of people were like, Shakira, she's 40. (laughs) That's that's what I wish. She looks like she's still 19. Yeah. And And then a lot of same for JLo. I was just going to say. Yes. Yeah. We love her. Maybe maybe more people are familiar with JLo. So they don't feel the need to Google her. Yeah. As much is is JLo on that list? No, no. I was just saying for the halftime show. No, I know. I know what you're saying, but it's interesting because I would imagine that the halftime show like, I would think that we saw a spike in Google's for Shakira after that show. I think so, too. Yeah, totally. Totally. That makes sense. Um, so the rest of the list is August Alsina, Adele, Doja Cat, who my mom referred to as, what's that girl's name? Kitty this week. <laughs> Grimes, Van Halen, Lizzo, Tamar Braxton, Quando Rondo, and Tori Lane. I would not have guessed some of those. Nope. Probably would have guessed Lizzo and Doja Cat and like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I would have guessed Adele because people were on her about her weight loss this year. Less so about music, obviously, but more so about how much weight she had lost. Well, also, and also her look, SNL. You know? her like appropriative. Oh yeah. And that stuff too. Over the summer. Um, And then lastly, just like definitions, because they're fun. And sometimes illuminating, we have WAP, entanglement, antebellum, pandemic, asymptomatic, Juneteenth, BIPOC, quarantine, simp, and furlough. It's like it's what's the what's a better summary? Great, that's like a little tangent slash non-tangent. I don't know. But, you know, of course, now that we get into more music, clearly music transcends data points and gives us a different vocabulary to use for a lot of things, you know, as we move through life, love, loss, all the big emotions and events that life is made of. So what did 2020 do to music? We're going to talk about recording, performance and consumption through a couple of different lenses, starting with method, you know, like the fact that almost all things are virtual now. Etc. Yeah, and I think that B-Sides friend, Kenny, had a helpful framing. He said, I feel like it mirrors what 2020 disaster capitalism did to the rest of society. The members of the ruling class did just fine, found ways to innovate and adapt, and in some instances ended up profiting off the dumpster fire that is 2020, etc. We got two Taylor Swift albums, Kalani self-directed videos, started a production company, etc., but for emerging artists, it was a disaster. The way new artists gain an audience and make a living is generally through performing and touring, not streaming, which I think is important to remember. I know a musician whose debut album release party was scheduled for the exact date lockdown started in San Francisco. 2020 truly guillotined the careers of so many creatives, and I think the consequences of what that will probably be felt for years, maybe longer. Sad face. Yeah, that's a lot to think about. So let's chat. Early on with relatively big artists, we had some spring album delays. Don't forget, guys, Lady Gaga's Chromatica, Himes Limited Music Part 3, and the Chicks Gaslighter, etc. 
I think about these three albums and what they could have helped for me in April constantly. Um, some artists who had to pause production or thought they'd go on tour later this year and wanted to wait out the virus um, before they dropped an album. Instead, the virus went on forever and they dropped albums over the late spring, early summer. And we did enjoy that. I would have enjoyed them in April when we were through even more uh, not knowing what's going on. But alas. Right. And because of that, that said, shout out to the artists who did give us albums in the spring when we were still newly social distancing, going on power walks while the weather was nice. Remember those days? It's like they knew what we needed. A few honorable mentions in this category. Dua Lipa still dropped her album in April. Thank you very much. After a leak um, that kind of changed her her plans, but worked out great for us. The album was called Future Nostalgia. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant album name, but a little on the nose for this album title, TBH. Um, then in May, Charlie XCX gave us How I'm Feeling Now. This is one of the first quarantine albums. She started recording it in the mainstream. She started recording it basically immediately after lockdowns began, worked on it for six weeks before releasing it. And I love that it sounds very DIY. It's so good. And, and that she made it with fans. Like she has Zoom feedback sessions as she made it, which is very cool. Feels very new. We love it. And then also in May, Carly Rae Jepsen released Dedicated Side B because she was probably planning to do it anyway. And she knew that we needed a pick-me-up that only she could provide. Those are some really great early quarantine soundtracks. And so then around this time, we had some of the biggest names in pop music figuring out what to do instead of going on world tours and such. Taylor dropped two wildly successful surprise albums, of course, Folklore and Evermore in July and December. Ariana dropped an almost surprise album, Positions, in October. They both dropped documentary concert slash recording films. And they and Kalani all became producers, which is amazing. And Beyonce, of course, already was a producer with surprise albums, but they were all entertaining audiences virtually and performing in other ways. 2020 made incredibly clear that there are several artists at the top who are completely not at all beholden to media cycles. Um, B-Side's friend Molly, who also happens to be my sister, said in the Facebook group uh, about 2020, so many surprise albums, drops, interested in what may have changed in the music industry to make it so. I always think about the surprise and sudden release of Thank You Next in 2019 and how much it has or hasn't influenced surprise releases today, like Taylor's two new albums, Ariana's new album, etc. And in response to that post, Brett said, uh, Brett added, someone on Reddit a while back chalked this up to the increasing importance of going viral and surprise albums do exactly that every time. A great point. Yeah, I actually um, just had a thought related to that, which is like, I think, I think that pop stars used to be able to have like a sort of like mysticism around them, like Madonna and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston, and even like maybe to an extent Britney Spears. Just like you know, people weren't online all the time, so you could only get so many interviews with them and interactions. And now that we don't have that. Um, in the same way. I think Beyonce has been able to recreate that and she's been very meticulous about it, but I don't think anyone else has. And I wonder if like Taylor and Ariana, this is part of them trying to do that and be like sort of mysterious in a way by, by doing these sort of unexpected things. 
Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned them. I mean, sure, they're, you know, two of the biggest stars of our time and they dropped these almost surprise albums. Um, But also they, those two are notorious for not giving a lot of interviews. And Taylor actually, you know, since the reputation era, we've gotten almost no interviews from her. And now she's everywhere promoting folklore and evermore. And she's like, I don't know, she's tweeting, she's on Instagram stories. And I kind of forgot about what it was like to have Taylor Swift like around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's very accessible suddenly. But yes, I, I wouldn't be surprised if those things are all connected. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, briefly in a, in a very different income bracket of America. Like Kenny said, we then had far lesser known artists struggling more than ever to get their music out there. You know, it's it's absolutely true. Like she said, that streaming does very little for new artists, especially compared to performing and getting exposure that way. Um, and, you know, I have friends who did virtual concerts occasionally, but they and most artists didn't have the means to record and perform as they otherwise would have. And a lot of them were banking on those opportunities in 2020 as they would in any other year. Opportunities that can still be hard to come by sometimes, but are options in any other year. So in that sense, we most definitely missed out on a lot of great lesser known or new artists and performances. And they missed out on a chance to progress via those opportunities that are no longer available to them or only available to the top 1% of artists. Um, So yeah, just hoping this divide doesn't widen further in 2021. And there's sort of like a way to, I don't know if rectify it is is the right word, but um, do some sort of damage control, I guess. Yeah. And at the same time though, there was an ever increasing engagement and performance space online. Chief among them trending this year was TikTok and the B-Sides Facebook group, Olivia pointed to this trend separate from the industry and more of a focus on pop culture. It's interesting how social media like TikTok has popularized songs. And we talked about Doja Cat before, but definitely through TikTok, um, both old and new songs. I guess that the impact of new social media channel on pop music, there are a lot of spinoff topics from this was the TikTok, the YouTube of 2020, in which numerous new musicians gained popularity and got their start. Spotify even has a viral playlist. And for sure, I would say social media and TikTok are definitely at least informally connected to the industry in some way. Like would Doja Cat have been asked to perform at the VMAs if not for say so and like that blowing up on TikTok? I don't, I don't think she would have been. Or would certain decades of old songs like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac have climbed the charts again? Also discussing previously too about a lot of um, artists, starter artists who may, who lost out in 2021 or 2020, sorry. Um, I see when I'm on TikTok, a lot of young artists who got this sort of like viral fame, even like lesser known than Doja Cat was before. And I think that TikTok really helped them um, propel who knows though if it'll stable like if they'll be able to carry that into 2021 if they'll have a lot of fans that'll eventually buy tickets to a tour etc but a lot of them do get into like the tiktok creator fund which is a way to make money for the amount of followers that they have so anyway back to olivia's question whether or not um these artists would have grown if it weren't for TikTok. It's one that hopefully with years ahead, will clarify, like, will TikTok do for someone what YouTube did for Justin Bieber, skyrocketing them to fame and some sort of music dance and other performances career in a new way? Yeah, I think that's a good point about stability, like on these new platforms. It's really hard to tell. Um, so, you know, that's a case where we'll see. And I just want to like give a shout out to someone who went viral, who I love on the internet, on Twitter, though. Um, Jameer Reese Davis, aka his username is 
at Lone Amorphous, L-O-N-E-A-M-O-R-P-H-O-U-S. He He's like a 23-year-old producer from Philly who blew up over Thanksgiving because he posts these amazing, amazing mashups and has been doing it for a while. Like he'll put Rihanna with uh, Luther Vandross. He does like a lot of Aaliyah. It's so it's so good. And like he said that he was striking out at job interviews in L.A. right before the pandemic and like didn't have enough money to buy a cheeseburger. And then he moved out back to Florida um, where he went to college, like feeling very defeated. And then he was discovered on Twitter on Thanksgiving. And now he has like all these opportunities to produce music. And he'll tweet like, wow, like Rihanna follows a thousand people. And I'm one of them. Like, that's crazy. Um and it may not have happened if people were less online or under less extraordinary circumstances to, to be doing this kind of stuff. So, all right. Um, so with all of that said, with and with the internet more crowded than ever, which I hate because I famously like love the internet most probably around like, I don't know, 2010 to 2013 when you could, when there were like cool blogs and like weird Twitter was more of a thing and it wasn't kind of the same jokes all the time. It's still great in a lot of ways, whatever. But with millions of people more online and like not seeing family, friends, acquaintances, meeting new people organically, like in life as they otherwise might, um, you know, I thought we could discuss fandoms and parasocial relationships with artists celebrities and if they became more intense in 2020 because I definitely feel like it's you know it's person dependent but overall I feel like they did I don't have a great way to gauge it aside from like seeing a lot of people fighting and like seemingly obsessing online more than ever I can say that you know I think celebrity deaths hit me harder this year and I definitely watched more celebrity Instagram stories, lives, TikToks, whatever. But just like some people really seemed on a whole other level. And I don't know, maybe 2021 will reveal more. Maybe we'll scale it back. Unclear. Yeah, I do. And I don't. I agree with you on a lot of things. And I, but I do think a huge way for fans to connect with artists was tours and like meet and greets and like in person. And you can't um, replace that connection. Like you just can't make up for it digitally as much as you try. And I, I feel like a lot of people were pretty online prior to the pandemic. Yes, maybe we're more so online now. Sure, we weren't getting like daily Instagram lives from Miley Cyrus, but like I don't necessarily think that made me feel any closer to her as an artist or my like fan loyalty to her like reach new heights. I was more like a little turned off and maybe that's just me. But I'm looking very much for tours. And I, I think now, honestly, I will probably make an effort to go to more tours than I would have prior because those are sacred moments that you have with artists that you just don't get by watching them talk about their mental health on an Instagram live. Totally. And I, I think this year has taught us that if we have disposable income to spend on uh, in-person concerts and other just in-person experiences in the future, like that's going to be a big priority in my budget in the future. So uh, definitely agree with that. And yeah, I think there's no counterfactual that we'll know the answer to, right? I do think that a lot of these parasocial relationships were uh, trending upwards and trending more intense anyway. Um, So perhaps this intensity might've happened no matter what. Um, These parasocial relationships have definitely been a part of our culture for a while now. And while it, it feels like, you know, we could say, you know, that they 
deepened in intensity because people felt the need for human connection. Of course, that's a possibility, but I actually think what you were saying, Mimi, that it's not because we were desperate for human connection because I'm not sure that these replaced that. I do think it was because we were online more <laughs> and consuming content in a different way, in a in more of a way. I think for a lot of people, this is not across the board, but some people might relate to it. We we craved more content that was like shorter and accessible and like a little bit more um, stimulating, you know, like one to the other to the other. Um, so that's, you know, for, for me, I know I consumed a lot of very short pieces like on TikTok or like Instagram lives that I would jump into for just a second. And so if I was engaged with someone online for like two seconds a day, every day, suddenly they actually do feel like they're a part of my life, you know, and that's how I start to develop that relationship. It makes you wonder why Quibi failed. It we're does. literally, we're literally, if we were a test group for Quibi right now, they'd be like, yes, short content is what everyone needs. I actually didn't think of that, but like Quibi was never enticing to me. Cause I actually, I also in an opposite way, not to like make my point make no sense, but I've also watched more movies than ever before this year, which I previously didn't feel I had the stamina for. I mean, I always love movies, but a lot of times, you know, I would choose a TV show over a movie and I'm watching movies more because I feel like when I'm, when I want to sit down and watch something long, then, then I, I'm like ready for that. And I want to do that. And I want to get comfortable in the pillow, you know, but if I'm scrolling on my phone, I'm like, next, next, next. Yeah, I think Quibi failed because there were so much free short content and no one wanted to pay $15 a month for short content when you could get it for free. Right. That's my quick thesis on the death of Quibi. So, I mean, right. So all of this is to say, I feel like I developed a stronger sense of parasocial relationships with a lot of celebrities in some ways because I was just consuming them more. And yes, they were showing more of themselves, which I, I always love in creators. Um, and I, I like the B-sides wouldn't exist if I wasn't, if I didn't feel close to celebrities who don't know me at all. Right. Like I've always called Taylor Swift Taylor. Ariana Grande has been Ari for years. Like these people feel like they're a part of my life. And I, and I think that that definitely did intensify this year for perhaps lots of reasons. All right. So the last thing on method before we shift over to talking explicitly about the content or subject matter of music in 2020. Um, as Becky mentioned, the three of all, the three of us all uh, plans to go to shows in 2020. Famously, Becky still has tickets to Loverfest, lest we forget. And we were all fortunate, the three of us, to maintain jobs where we could work from home, cutting out our commutes. So I want to talk about, did any of this change how and when we listened to music? So we asked this of the, the B-Sides, the Facebook group as well. And Kate said, um, I realized how much of my passive listening, aka listening to the radio, auto-curated playlists, new albums, etc., I do while driving. Without a commute, I didn't really have a chance to get sick of my current rotation as quickly as usual, so I didn't seek out as much new music as I normally would. And on this point, Olive said, same, I haven't really discovered anything new or kept super up to date with releases this year at all. Usually, I'd at least check out my Spotify release radar weekly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I was like immediately thinking about my commute, um, which used to be either like a, you know, like a 40 minute metro ride or drive. 
Um, and I used to even discover new music that way. And so shifting away from that was a big change. Um, I think now or this year I've taken more solo walks and I, you know, always listen to music during that, except not really in the summer when it was like extremely hot out and I just couldn't do it that much. Um, I think I listened to like startlingly less music outside of the context of TV in like July or August, which felt really weird. And I missed as many of us did. And as Hannah, you were saying, and Becky were saying as well, like experiencing music with a bunch of people at a show or a party or a bar or like whatever it is. Um, And so it was cool actually like occasionally to see some communal music pop up when we were gathering like at protests or really majorly at election celebrations in major cities where it was like, it would go from like why, like the YMCA to thank you next. And it was like really chaotic and I loved it. Yeah. I still listen to a lot of music. Um, I actually think what I don't do now that I used to do is read. And I've been reflecting a lot about that in the past week that I used to read on my commutes less so than listen to music. I listen to music while I work because I like to have sound on in the background. Um, So I, I guess I'm passively listening to music. I Maybe I didn't discover a lot of new music the way that I did before, but I definitely still listen to a lot of music. I have a dog, humble brag. So I do go on walks daily and I do listen to music for a podcast. So it almost kept to be the same, but I really miss like the excitement that you get Mimi, which you're talking about too, of like being in a bar and like, for example, like, can you only imagine if like rain on me or WAP like played at a bar, you'd be like so fucking amped. And I really miss that collective listening, listening to WAP, like at my desk was like not the same (laughs) feel. (laughs) Totally. Um, I listened to very little music this year. I'm really, I'm sad about it. Um, I couldn't fit it into my life in a way that felt good, which is like, doesn't make any sense to me as obviously being a music listener feels like a huge part of my identity. Um, I, what I did listen to was albums in full because when an artist dropped something like the albums we talked about, I wanted to listen to that. Like it felt important to me. So it felt like, um, almost like a to-do list or like an action item. Like I am going to listen to dedicated side B today, the whole thing. Um, but I'm usually a playlist listener. Like I usually curate playlists for myself, um, that I kind of will go through, um, anywhere from like three to nine months of like, that is the thing I listen to the most. And then I kind of, uh, you know, diverge from there every once in a while, but then I come back to my playlist and that habit broke completely this year. Like I haven't listened to a playlist that I made since the beginning of 2020. So it's definitely changed my listening habits in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 I was also making like way fewer playlists and I don't know. Okay. So we're going to, this this is a good segue because we're going to take another quick break. Um, but then we're going to talk about what we were actually listening to beyond method. Like what was the content and like what vibes were pop artists dishing out in 2020 and like, why were they doing that? What were they doing and why were they doing it? And we're back. So let's go into content. What was going on in music? Let's start with something that Megan said in the Facebook group. I feel like I went for nostalgic tunes, tunes I already knew I loved to help console me through this crisis. And I imagine a lot of others did as well. This piggybacks on what someone else noted about the smaller artists suffering. Were people avidly consuming new content? 
Thanks, Megan. That's a great point about nostalgia as another factor working against new artists this year, frankly. And um, incredibly, uh, Mimi found this article where someone analyzed 17 trillion plays of songs on Spotify this year in six European countries, but pretty sure it still holds. There's lessons to learn anyway, um, to understand streaming trends, finding that nostalgia played a huge role. And in line with uh, what Megan was saying, this researcher said about nostalgia in 2020, negative emotions are various, but they are similar in one dimension, which is it hurts and leads people to react, to amend, to try to counter the negative feelings. One possible way to recover or to generate positive utility is to seek nostalgia that reminds people of good old days. So what do we think of this nostalgia-centric listening as a trend? It makes a lot of sense to me, although for me, like some, you know, nostalgia is like bittersweet, you know, sometimes it also hurts. Um, But I would say the music that I listen to, like in most years spans a long timeline. Um, But I definitely had kind of a homecoming with music I'd been familiar with for years, but wasn't in my regular rotation of classics or anything like that. And I noticed things like like I never thought a couple of Fountains of Wayne songs or a couple of like Glee soundtrack songs would make it into my top 100 at the beginning of this year um, for the very first time, which they did. And I have no doubt that that's because of Adam Schlesinger of um, Fountains of Wayne, who was like a very early, unfortunate, like very early death of COVID, like early April and Naya Rivera. So, you know, not super new music, and like not super my usual rotation of classics either kind of like 90s 2000s early 2010s music that I hadn't listened to in a while yeah I second that Mimi I listened to a handful of songs on repeat I don't know if I necessarily like older songs but I listened to uh, like 10 songs every day um as a small but mighty handful of listeners know I have not looked at my Spotify 2020 wrapped so I can't confirm from uh, personal experience about the nostalgic listening but it certainly makes sense to me I think we all needed crutches this year however we could find them I'm sure there's a lot of people who also listen to sadder songs than ever before because it feels really good to listen to sad songs when you're sad or whatever it might be but I definitely think nostalgia was a really important crutch for people in a lot of ways in music and in any other parts of culture that we could break down if we were a different kind of podcast. Proud of you for still not looking at your 2020 wrapped. There was someone who was like, who DM'd me, um, who was like, oh, you'll cave. Like you're going to listen. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm not like when I make a decision like that, I really stick to it. I did look at my top song because I was curious. So I think I actually think I'm going to talk about it in the next section. So if you okay. don't know my top I- song, you'll find out in five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I forgot if you um, like had stumbled upon that accidentally or not. But I know that I, you know, like and Becky and I know that when you make decisions like that, like neither I don't think either of us were like, oh, like you're going (laughs) to you're going to cave eventually. Like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way, but I you stick to decisions like you were you had been thinking about it for a while. Um, So, yeah. okay. so that said. Like, let's talk about any music drops in 2020 before the pandemic so long ago that we really liked and or were anticipating and then like what happened to them. 
I remember being um, somewhat excited for Justin Bieber's album in like January slash February, but like I could not conjure up anything beyond like two songs probably. And the fact that like Yummy was actually released a year ago today is cursed, but there's that. And then I also loved uh, Bazzi's single Young and Alive, which dropped in early March. Um, There was like a week of it being like, oh yeah, before the pandemic. It's sort of like a, you know, a bittersweet, nostalgic song. Um, and it's and it carried more weight as the year went on. Young and Alive. What a concept. Like once, you know, once the idea or the fact of spontaneous illness and or death became way more pronounced. So um, those are a couple of mine. What about you guys? Kesha, I was so excited for High Road. It came out. In, well, I think actually my was supposed to come out like this time in January, but instead came out a little bit later uh, in January. But damn I listen to high road so much and speaking of spotify 100 it spotify top th- songs it wasn't even there which makes me sad because i think it did mix into my early pandemic playlist but it wasn't something i sustained it's not something i like jumped to i speaking about nostalgia and like needing um calming music but i i felt for kesha because i bet she was gearing up to go on tour and was probably really amped to tour high road and now it's a year later and I don't think it's gotten the attention that it rightfully deserved. That said, I will probably go to the Kesha tour. It's going to be so good to see that in person. I definitely think that was an album. Not that any album was supposed to be released in a pandemic, but, you know, I think High Road and Chromatica are definitely two that come to mind as like, I was not meant to be listened to alone in a, you know, in a tough situation. I totally forgot about that album until you said that, Becky, which made me feel horrible. How could I? Um, Mimi, when you asked this question about pre-pandemic releases, like I, my brain literally broke. I couldn't, I really had a hard time. And the, but the one pre-pandemic release that did come to mind was Lauv's album, which he released like a bunch of songs from in small doses for like a while beforehand. Um, it dropped, I believe in March. And I remember listening to it on, or listening to some songs on it, um, on the last bus ride I ever took in March from downtown DC, from my office, I know teardrops to my home in DC. Um, and like listening to that and that, so, so Lau's song tattoos together was my top listen to song. Cause it was definitely like an obsession, um, song on repeat I had. So that was my top song of 2020. And I think while it was, it, no matter what this year brought, it would definitely have been high up there. The fact that there was a pandemic and I listened to fewer things than ever before is, is how it could shoot up there so quickly um, from just being a song I listened to on repeat in the beginning of 2020. Um, and then also the fact that you asked this question, Mimi, reminded me that Selena Gomez put out an album this year. Whoops, had completely forgotten about that. Um, I do feel a little bad for her, just that I think it was released at a time when you know people were just not going to care about that and focus on a lot of other things. And it was a fine album in a lot of ways, um, but it needed a little more attention. I think like I needed to have listened to it more times to like it. And I was not going to put my brain space there. So like there, there it goes. Sorry, Selena. Yeah. You got, and you guys just reminded me of all three of these albums, which I definitely listened to, but forgot about. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think like some people are, it is unfortunate for some of them. And I think some artists are better at pivoting than others. 
Um, I don't think that like pivoting in a pandemic is on anyone's repertoire when they like go into becoming an artist. It's just not what you expect. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little more about that because in terms of like the rest of the music that came out this year, again, not comprehensive, but in general, what kind of shifts and trends in pop music did we see as the year went on? You know, it, it seemed it seemed to me that 2020 moved artists and consumers in a few directions, and we wanted to talk about some of those and highlight them more specifically. So the first is, in some ways, with some of like the biggest artists, um, pop music became more introspective, maybe like heavier in terms of content, which maybe people were more ready for or open to just giving given all of the current events so um and to some degree that went along with being like softer and folksier and pensive and banger free like less radio play pandering not music built for the club or the radio as much and obviously we can use taylor swift's pivot to folklore and evermore as an example of that we talked about ever more previously and you know the song Marjorie as an example it's just like I was blown away by I'm I'm not one of those people who is like praising folklore and evermore to downgrade the rest of her music like not in the slightest but like what I will say is that songs like Marjorie like I thought that was one of her most beautiful mature nuanced songs ever And it's about grief and death and like it's very mature because it's also about how those things can affirm life like hopes fears legacies of those people or your own legacy values things like that and the idea that we carry others within us and when we go like we will also be carried by others and i think that that is like a great message for this year and i'm and it came and it came from multiple people but it came from taylor swift um And it's not the only song that gets that deep, like on these albums or in other albums, but it's hard to believe that we'd have that much quieter, contemplative, like indie electro folk content from Taylor, if not for 2020. Like if she were able to go on tour right now to fulfill Becky's ticket to Loverfest and we weren't all feeling heavy on a regular basis. So I, you know, I, I feel grateful for those kinds of shifts. I think it's, helpful for people who are processing grief for the first time or once again and you know um yeah I think a lot of people are are grateful to have some pop music for like the biggest pop star in the world go in that direction it's interesting absolutely so heavier introspective um more internally focused processing pop music. Absolutely. Um, And then the second trend we want to go into is more resistance. We got a lot of new protest music coinciding with George Floyd's death and the racial justice protests that followed. Um, Our second episode of this podcast ever is about resistance music. And um, maybe we should revisit it at some point, actually, to kind of have a have an, an update on it, because that was from 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, Many Black artists, including some of the most prominent wrote and released beautiful songs about institutional racism and white supremacy and the grief and anger and fear and resilience that comes with 400 years of it continuing today. Um, A few examples that um, were just absolutely amazing. Tayana Taylor's Still, Usher's I Cry, Her's song I Can't Breathe, 
Alicia Keys, A Perfect Way to Die, and Beyonce's Black Parade. Beautiful. And and on a, a little uh, related but non-related note, the third one is that perhaps we got a little bit hornier uh, in these times. We were cooped up. If you were single, you, it was harder to access a partner maybe without risking your life. You got to know your hand really well, which is also really good, but we didn't hear, get to hear the thirst trap music at the club, but nevertheless, it persisted and maybe I intensified in sort of the opposite way of the introspective theme. It was more of a fantasy world in 2020, the, the least hot girl summer since 1348. Um, I would say maybe the least hot girl summer since 1918, if we're going to even reference the last uh, most recent pandemic in our mind. Um, consider Megan the Stallion and Cardi B's WAP knocking Harry Styles' Watermelon Sugar off the top charts over the summer. Different approaches, but sex is front and center. We know Harry loves loves a good uh, sex track. And then Ariana Grande's Positions, which is way more horned up than her previous two albums. Yeah, the music was fun. Um, positions. I, I think that Ariana Grande is on a sidetrack, like always trying to appear hornier than she maybe actually is. And I think she's trying to maybe counteract the fact that she is perceived by so many people as this like young girl, um, that she's trying to make herself like be sexy and flirty and fun, but positions was definitely horny. Yeah. They were just like, I mean, well, watermelon sugar came out earlier, but it stayed at, it stayed at the top of the charts for much of the pandemic, which is interesting. And you know, a lot of these artists were just like, it's still, we're still gonna make it happen. Like we're not going to the club, but we're gonna make it happen. And speaking of making it happen, there were times when music was like super COVID specific. As Hannah mentioned earlier, Charlie XCX was probably like. She w- she had one of the first um, mainstream quarantine albums and she did it in such an interesting way. And it was like such an early phase of it where we were like, what's going to happen? And it was all new. Um, so it was kind of nice to see like, yes, we can still like people are still people are still generating art in this somehow. And that was really nice to see. But she was like one of the first also to sort of mention the malaise of this year and like yearning for the before times in her song anthem where she talks about like feeling existential and missing friends and parties and things like that. Um, and you know, another notable piece of content is we also got stuck with you by Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber around the same time when the pandemic and, and, and quarantining were still new experiences. And it was like, Oh yeah, like <laughs> we are all kind of stuck. Um, I, I personally feel like that would be less cute now because it's like we have been stuck for so long, but I don't know. Along these lines, more broadly than what we talked about with nostalgia, um, but just sort of like to kind of put a cap on this, you know, like what kind of music have we all been reaching for? And like, was there a song of the summer due to everyone's attempts to to I think like try to some people's attempts to to move away from radio and others attempts to sort of like keep a sense of normalcy I guess um I felt in the spring and early summer when the pandemic was new and like quarantine orders made sense and were uniform mostly and like 
many thousands of people hadn't died yet and the sun was shining and the weather was nice and like a lot of things were probably still bad I'm I shouldn't be romanticizing this at all um I was all about like the contemporary disco club bangers like Dua Lipa's future nostalgia the whole album's excellent and Ariana Grande and Lady Gaga's rain on me like those were those were what I was listening to then you know, going on walks, things like that. And then in the summer, like it was so hot out, like I said earlier, and here in the nation's capital and much of the country. Um, and it and it just became clear that like we were not returning to any sort of normalcy. And like we were also going, we were experiencing a reckoning in a lot of ways. And so I started listening to more heavier music that made me feel lighter by listening to it, like Solange and Kendrick Lamar for this beautiful resistance music, um, Chloe and Halle's new amazing R&B album, Ungodly Hour, which I hope brings R&B back into mainstream music. Um, I think they could do it. And then like Jenny Lewis or new Taylor, as discussed. I did not experience a song of the summer, but I may have just missed it. And then now, like, now that we are, we, you know, we're, we're in the winter now, when I hear songs about clubs or parties, if they're new, especially like it just has become jarring. It feels like a period piece or someone being a public health menace. So like I had this one example, this song that came out in December, 2020 and was on Spotify called talk me out of it by Olivia Holt, who like, I literally have no idea who she is, but this song stuck with me because she mentioned several times that she's at a party. The party is not the thing that she's asking to be talked out of, to be clear. Like she's at a party Um, and I like borderline short circuited because now it's like, even when I watch TV and movies, I often have a moment where I'm like, wait, where are their masks? Like, even if it's something I've seen before, or it's just like blatantly from before, like this started for me, I think around September and it's fucked up. And even things like I watched, like I saw like elf a couple weeks ago or like the crown. And I'm like, wait, (laughs) where are the masks? Um, I, I think we'll get over that, but I, that's, that's an experience I'm having as well. No, I think about that too. Like every time I watch, um, a TV show or something, I'm like, oh my God, they're touching. Like there's seven, more than six people in this room. Like, why is that? (laughs) Um, I do think there was a song of the summer. I really think that WAP was a song of the summer. It did come out in the early, in early August, which maybe is late for a song of the summer, but I heard it everywhere meaning on tiktok grocery stores when i walked down the street like cars would be bumping it um but and i agree with rain on me and if we had clubs it, those would have been the songs also savage i honestly because and this is, goes back to tiktok but i really think savage was like the song of the summer but the song of like this quarantine period and that goes back to our discussion about tiktok and its influence on on music and that definitely moved Megan the Stallion's career like 18 steps forward because of that so true so good I totally agree with that um I had a hard time answering this question about if there was a song of the summer um because for me I feel like the deliciousness of a song of the summer is that they're playing everywhere you go which Becky you kind of mentioned um and I never leave my house basically <laughs> So since I went nowhere, not even a like, grocery store. I feel like every time you walk into a grocery store, I was playing. Wow. No, Logan does the grocery shopping for me. Isn't that amazing? I don't leave wow. my house. I really don't. Um, you know, we can talk about that on a, on a different kind of, you know, 
therapy podcast, but uh, about how maybe I developed agoraphobia this year, but that's fine. Anyway, but since I went nowhere, <laughs> I, there was like no amount of TikTok ubiquity that can replace a real like walking down the beach and hearing everybody's like iPhones playing that song, whatever that song is. Um, so, you know, for me, I reached for my favorite artists more than ever. And those, my favorite artists put out new music this year, which was amazing. So I listened to their albums in full, right? Like Ariana, we mentioned Carly Rae, Dua, Gaga, and then somehow Taylor Swift was putting out two albums for me. So that's what I, that's what I ended up listening to the most, right? For me personally. Um, (laughs) I was going to say for you. (laughs) Um, so that's what I listened to. And then I, I do, you know, I watched the WAP music video, um, but I kept, and I love that song. I kept forgetting, like, I never, I don't think I very often like went to Spotify and pressed play on WAP or Savage, although I love those songs. So I definitely, fe- I definitely felt them around us, around us in the culture. And they were the closest to Song of Summer. I think that, I think Becky, you nailed it, but it wasn't the same as, you know, that very communal feeling that makes a Song of the Summer what it is. I should also note in grocery stores, it wasn't WAP. It was WAG, wet and gushy. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so <laughs> perhaps funny. It's, uh, it's different. It's a different feel. Than oh being a club. Yeah. I haven't heard that version. That's, that's definitely interesting, but yeah, no, it's like, it's like when we were talking about party in the USA and I was like, every time I hear the opening of that song, I am back in like, like, a frat basement with like a beer soaked floor. It just like there, there is none of that with music of this year. And there wouldn't be any of that at this stage in my life personally, but there would be other, you know, other contexts, Hannah, like you're mentioning and Becky too, um, where you would normally hear these songs like in public with people, strangers and friends alike. Um, and, and yeah, so we didn't have any of that. So you know, when I, when I hear these songs like years from now, I don't know what exactly will go through my mind, but it might be like, ah, yes. Like staring at that plant that I had in 2020, like in my living room. Um, yeah. All right. So let's, let's wrap this up here. We all know that years are, we've just been through a lot of new year's discourse. We know that years are sort of fake. And at the same time, though, like a lot had to happen or not happen in order to make it through 2020. And that is really something I feel totally out of my mind, but that's fine. Um, Well, we're putting a pin in all of this and we're going to see what 2021 does with it. I have personally said enough, but do you guys have any wishes or predictions for the years ahead? Yeah, my one wish is that I hope artists continue to put out music whenever they feel like it and stop acting beholden to tour schedules and like media schedules. Um, I really enjoy a surprise album um, so much. I totally agree with that. I think we were already on that trend um, as, you know, calling back to earlier in the episode when Molly mentioned Thank You Next. I think Thank You Next did that for the pop world. And when she did that, when Ariana Grande dropped that album, she explicitly referenced hip hop artists who already do that. So once again, hip hop trends coming into the rest of the mainstream. And now I think with um, the experimentation that was necessary in 2020, I totally hope that this happens more and more. I hope they break the rules that, you know, that they put on themselves or that we put on them, like how Taylor Swift needed to get a new haircut between albums, <laughs> like, or have these different eras. Like, I love that she put out two albums in the same 
with the same, you know, uh, heart and soul in them. And um, my other hope is that I hope big artists use their platforms to lift up smaller artists who we mentioned very explicitly are were very short change this year from, you know, just from things like they couldn't get into rooms that would get them relationships to other problems. Like they couldn't be opening acts on tours, which is how like so many people get noticed. So, you know, as a small example of this, we saw a lot of like um, celebrities on Instagram giving their accounts over for like takeovers um, this summer, especially to black activists, which I thought was amazing. And I'd love to see like Taylor Swift do that with an up and coming artist or like Demi Lovato do that or whoever it is, like give their Instagram over for a day or something to an up and coming artist or even, I mean, this is not pandemic only, but you know, Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe got big when Justin Bieber put out a YouTube video of him dancing around to it. Like that stuff really works. So that is my hope for uh, 2021. One thing also I hope is I'm looking forward to Normani uh, getting her album drop and break that she very well deserves as well as perhaps Rihanna will give us some more music. I do love all the other things that she does, but would love for her to make a concealer and drop a single with that concealer line. Those two wishes are so important to note because like we've been saying them for years and that I, know, doesn't I, I had to put it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to put it out in the ether for 2021. We need right. it. Normani oh, yeah. and R9. I mean, I, yeah, we've been saying this for years. This was in our, uh, like semi-joke predictions from last year you know our our wishes our wish list and I, every time I say it I feel like the meme of the person like in stages putting on clown makeup because I just feel like it's never going to happen but I think it's also good to you know at times manifestation can be real and it's good to put that out there so thank you for doing that all right so I think that's the end of our show first show of 2021 but it's not the end of this conversation. And it's and 2020 is never over, unfortunately, yet. So, you know, obviously we couldn't talk about everything, not even close. And so, you know, what did we miss? What resonated with you? We can't wait to hear what you think. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at listen to the B-sides, on Twitter at the B-sides pod, and join our Facebook group by searching the B-sides or going to bit.ly forward slash b-sides fb group and you can also go to our website listen to the b-sides.com there's a lot of good stuff on there you can also email us with questions and ideas at listen to the b-sides at gmail.com and all of these links are in the description of the episode so you know take a second open your podcast app scroll down please subscribe rate and review us on itunes five stars please and we will see you in two wednesdays so until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Hannah. I'm Becky. Bye. Everyone. Bye. Happy New Year. Happy birthday, Becky. Happy Thank birthday. you so much. Happy Electoral College. Sad Electoral College. <laughs> okay, bye. Sad Electoral College. <laughs>